Thank you for listening. Visit www.cityhillglobal.com to find out more about City Hill Church. Please turn with me to uh, 1 Corinthians. I'm going to be reading from uh, 1 Corinthians 4 from verse 8 till verse 21. Just to say that our meeting is going to be fairly short today, and the reason for that is because there's another event that will be taking place shortly after this. So we meant to finish in about half an hour's time, and uh, the, for those who are using the shuttle, the bus, the bus will leave about 11.50, so please make sure you don't miss that. Please make sure you are there waiting for the bus at around 11.50. So if you've got your Bible, turn with me, First Corinthians 4. It says, already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly, poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you, are, you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I'll find out, not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Should I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness. Let us pray together. Jesus, we thank you so much for the gospel of good news. Lord, we thank you that it, it saves people, rescues people, but also it changes, transforms lives completely. We thank you for this new king that we have found, the new king who came and rescued us. We thank you for this new kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom that is never ending, the kingdom that will go forever. And I pray today, Lord, as we look at this words together, I pray, would you, Lord, draw us closer to Jesus. Help us, Lord, to behold the king, the king of glory together. And Lord, let your word continue to do the work in our lives. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. One of the things that we've noticed about this 
um, this book as we kept going and, uh, and teaching, but also going through this together, is that it's full of metaphors. And one of the metaphors, remember, that we talked about was this metaphor of a field and servants on the field working on this incredible field. And another metaphor was that of a, a building, God's building, God's temple. And we, last week, we, took, we, we, we look into this metaphor of a, a law court, if you like. And today, we're going to be looking at something completely different. Remember that the Corinthians are still that wild church that Paul is writing to. And they are a church that have really embraced the gospel, but they've also embraced all kinds of things from the world. In a sense, they've not let go of a lot of things that are of the world, and they have embraced the gospel as well. And Paul is writing here because they've just been doing all kinds of things, including comparing him with uh, Apollos and saying some of them say, I like Apollos, some say, I like Paul, some say, I like Christ, almost as though you can compare Christ with Paul and Christ. And Paul is saying, no, no, it's all about Jesus Christ. But he gets to this place now where it sounds as though, if you read it, that his, his words are becoming stronger and stronger. But one of the things that he's doing here is he's using uh, uh, sarcasm. He's, he's, he's very ironic in the way that he speaks. You can think that he's promoting them, but he's not promoting them. He's actually saying, I feel sad for you because you have become kings. You have become this. But actually what he's saying is that that's not how you should live your Christian life. And he said, we have become poor. We have become like the scum of the earth, the refuse of all things. And today I just want to observe just one thing and come on a journey with me as I observe this. And this is a perspective that Paul seems to be bringing to the church about the kingdom of God. So he talks about them. Already you have become kings. Already you have begun to reign. And he's using this kingdom language that he seems to be talking about it and massaging it very strongly upon the Corinthians. And I'm just going to draw you to three things today. The first one about the kingdom, I'm going to talk about the already and not yet kingdom of God, or what you would call the now and not yet kingdom or the kingdom of God. And secondly, we're going to look at the upside down kingdom which means a kingdom that is completely the opposite of any other kingdom. And thirdly, we're going to be looking at um, growing and maturing in this kingdom. What does it look like to mature in this kingdom? So let, let's begin. The already kingdom, but the not yet kingdom. What's he talking about here? Remember, the kingdom of God is, does not look like any other kingdom. The kingdom of God is very different. What do I mean by that? The kingdom of God came when Christ came to bring the kingdom here on earth. Christ was the one who came to bring the rule and reign of God on this earth. But actually, when you think about the kingdom of God, you realize it's not like the kingdom of Great Britain, the United Kingdom of Great Britain. Why? Because when you go to the UK, as you say, you enter a kingdom. You enter the kingdom of, of Great Britain. How do you do that? You fly in or you drive and you pass through the border and you enter the kingdom. But the kingdom of God is not like that. The kingdom of God is not a static concept. The kingdom of God is a dynamic concept. What do I mean by that? Jesus says, if I drive out a demon by the finger of God, the kingdom of God has come. If good news is preached to the poor, if the poor just suddenly hear the good news, the kingdom of God has come over there. If someone suddenly decides to 
give their life to Jesus right now, there the kingdom of God has come. Do you see how dynamic the kingdom of God is? It's not like I'm entering the kingdom. It looks like this. It looks physical. The kingdom of God is a very dynamic principle. But the kingdom of God came Jesus Christ came to bring the kingdom of God. That's why he says in Luke, the the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me, if you summarize that, to bring the kingdom of God. So he came on earth to bring the kingdom of God. But we do know that when Jesus came, he brought the kingdom of God, but through his life here on earth, through his death on the cross and his resurrection as well, that we are now, through Jesus part of this incredible new kingdom. But that doesn't end there because it means that the kingdom of God should really be fully established. And the kingdom of God has been inaugurated through the coming of Christ, but the kingdom of God has not been fully consummated yet, which will be one day in the second coming of Christ. Are we still together? So which means the kingdom of God is here now, but the kingdom of God has not really fully come. The kingdom of God will come, and it will come fully. But what the Corinthians are doing here is they have the impression, because they have received the gospel, that the kingdom of God has fully come. That's why Paul is saying to you, you already reign almost as though the kingdom has fully come. The way you you live your life is almost as though the kingdom has really fully come. But he says, if you look at us, it feels like we are making progress, we are advancing the gospel, but we have been buffeted. We experience pressure. We experience hardship. We, experience, we can tell that the kingdom of God has come because we are good news is preached to the poor. The people are becoming believers. But at the same time, there seems to be pressure. Do not be naive. Do not think that the kingdom has fully been established. Let me tell you why. Because if that is the case, and someone gets very ill, but doesn't get healed, the question is, why did they not get healed? And let me tell you this. We've been bombarded around the world by what we call the, the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. And what that means is, the kingdom of God has come, and the kingdom of God should be fully established. Why? Because everybody has to be healed. Because everybody has to have enough money in their bank account. Everybody should be well fed. Is that the reality? That's what the Corinthians were thinking. Is that true? Let me say this. Our hearts and our desire is to pray and to believe God for everybody is to pray and believe God that he changes lives, he changes circumstances. That when we pray, we believe that God is, is going to do something. But what if nothing happens? Let me tell you why. Let me tell you this. We are living in this incredible paradox. And the paradox is, things will happen. Lives will be changed. Lives will be transformed People will get healed. When we lay hands on people, we've got to believe people will get healed. But we also confronted with things that don't seem to turn the corner. And that means the kingdom of God has come because things are happening. But because things are not fully happening, 
the kingdom of God has not fully come. But that doesn't mean we step back and we don't do anything. It means faith has to rise to believe. But with the prosperity kind of teaching, what it says is the reason you're not all rich here, as the Corinthians thought, is because you don't have enough faith. If you all had enough faith, you'll all be rich. If you all had enough faith, you'll all be well and not sick. And let me tell you one. The problem is that is preached mainly in some of the places that most of us come from, in Eastern Europe, in some of the poor parts of the world, in Africa, in India, in many parts of the world, where, to be honest with you, if I went there and I looked around and I saw people worshipping, their faith is just so up there. Some of these countries, some of these people, some of these individuals from really poor background, their faith is just so greater than mine. The question is, if that's the case, why is it that things are not going so well for them? Is that because God has forgotten them? Is that because God doesn't care? Is that because God, they don't have enough faith? That is not it. Let me tell you the, 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 the key thing here. God is sovereign. He's in power and he's in control of everything. Christ has won the victory on the cross. And we are more than conquerors in him. Having said that, Jesus says, in this life, you will have trouble. And take heart, for I have overcome the world. So basically what he's saying, that he's, he's saying, in this life, you'll, you will have trouble, which means it's not yet fully there, but take heart, I have overcome the world. One day, you wouldn't have to worry about this. You wouldn't have to worry about sickness. You wouldn't have to worry about pain. You wouldn't have to worry about suffering. You wouldn't have to worry about sorrow because the kingdom is coming. The kingdom is knocking on our door right now. Let me give you two stories. And here are the stories that I want to read out to you very quickly. The first story is a story of a man who is a businessman in America. This is what he says. He says, before I knew Christ, I had nothing. My business was in bankruptcy. My health was ruined. I had lost the respect of the community and I had almost lost my family. Then I accepted Christ. He took me out of bankruptcy and now my business has tripled its profits. My blood pressure has dropped back to normal and I feel better again than I felt in years. Best of all, my wife and children have come back and we are a family again. God is good. To which we applaud and say, this is amazing. But then you read the next story. And this is what he says. A Chinese professor says, before I met Christ, I had everything. I made a large salary, lived in a nice house, enjoyed good health, was highly respected for my credentials and prof profession, and had a good marriage and a beautiful son. Then I accepted Christ as my Savior and Lord. As a result, I lost my post at the university, lost my beautiful house and car, and spent five years in prison. 
Now I work as for a subsistence wage at a factory. I live with pain in my neck, which was broken in prison. My wife rejected me because of my conversion. She took my son away, and I haven't seen him for 10 years. But God is good. This is from a book by Randy Alcon called Money, Possession, Eternity. He uses two stories. One is about a man who struggled significantly, received Jesus, everything went well. And the other story is about a man who was doing really well, gave his life to Jesus. It just sounds like everything is going pear-shaped. How do you answer both? The first one is, do you see the kingdom of God has come? And the second one is, you see the kingdom of God has not yet fully come. One day, all these problems, all this trouble will be gone. And let me read a passage to you that helps us understand that. And that is 1 Peter 5. Peter says, be alert and sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour right now. Resist him, standing firm in the faith right now because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering, by the way. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you one day and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be power forever and ever. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul talks about death. He says, death worries your sting. Because one day, Jesus Christ has not just defeated death, one day, we will fully defeat death. There's going to come a day where death is not going to have any power because death has already been overcome. But one day, the suffering, the sorrow, the pain, joblessness, all the things that we are struggling with right now that are so real right now, one day they'll be completely obliterated when the kingdom of God has fully come. Secondly, we have this incredible upside-down kingdom that Paul is talking about. He is almost writing the Beatitudes that Jesus wrote in, in, in Matthew. He is writing to say, this is a completely different kingdom. Things don't work the same way as they used to work in the past. Because he says, when we have been punished, or when we have been buffeted, when we have been accused, one of the things we don't do is we don't accuse back. When people speak ill of us, we bless. When we are being cursed, we do the opposite. Why do we do the opposite? Because we've joined a completely different kingdom. In the kingdom of the world, if someone says something terrible to you, you need to prove to them that you can say it in a better way. You need to show them that you are stronger than they are. But in the kingdom of God, Paul says, things are very different. When we are cursed, we bless. We don't use the ways of the kingdom out there. The reversal of our values is so significant because we are in a completely different kingdom. This kingdom, things are the opposite of the kingdom of this world. What do I mean by that? The way up is down. The way to glory is not to lift yourself up, but is to become a servant. 
The way to become great in, this, in the kingdom of God is to become nothing. This is a mind bender because the world is, does not work like that. And as we enter the kingdom of God, as we come and believe in Christ Jesus, a change of thinking has to take place. Because it means that the way we've always seen people, the way we've always seen the world has to change. It's a completely redoing, a rethinking of our worldview altogether. In this new kingdom, firstly, to become rich, if you want to become rich in the kingdom of God, the Bible tells us give away. Doesn't that make us think that this is not fair? Because in the kingdom of the world, if you want to be rich, let me give you good news in the kingdom of this world. If you want to be rich, invest as much as you can. Store away in barns. Store away as much as possible. But the kingdom of God is a mind bender. It says, if you want to be rich, give as much as you can. And by the way, this is not just talking about money, although there's, the implication is that, but it's talking about love. It's talking about all kinds of things. That the way to receive is not to, to close our hand and open one. The way to be blessed is to open both hands because in the world, the world opens one hand to receive and one hand to close in and to keep as much as possible. But in the kingdom of God, you open both hands, one to receive and one to give. And this is the story in Luke 6. It says, give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. <laughs> For with that measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. A complete rethinking. To give, to receive, give. Do you long for love? Give love. <laughs> Is it money? Be a blessing to others. It's a complete rethinking of the way we live our lives. Secondly, to get back at your enemy, love him. But doesn't the world says, say, if your enemy wrongs you, retaliate. An eye for an eye. Show them how strong you are. And by the way, when I talk about principles of the kingdom, I'm not saying be a pushover. This is not what the Bible is saying. But it says, every opportunity that you get, do not curse but bless. The passage says, you have heard... That it was said by the world, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. It's the other way around. To truly find life, you need to die to self. We read books and magazines that tell us to truly find life. Do a soul search. Look inside you, and you will find who you truly are. But the Bible says, no, to truly find who you are, don't look at yourself. Die to self. Kill the self so that you might be alive in Christ. 
And the, the scripture says in, in Matthew 16, that Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's what Paul is saying. He says to the Corinthians, if you want to understand the kingdom of God, what you need to realize is that the way up, the way to be a great man is not to jostle and for position. The way to be great is to be a servant. A friend of mine shared a story with me and he repeated it. I've got it on my phone if you want me to send it to you. He, uh, uh, he sent me a, uh, a voice recording and he said to me, one day, I just reminded him this story, and he went back to the same person again because I reminded him of this story. So the story was, he was working for a council, a county council, and, um, and he was working with quite a few people in the office. And what he used to do is, in the morning, everyone will gather in their workplace to talk about what they've done during the week, but also to talk about one another, to talk about the boss, to talk about the sort of things they don't like about the boss, to talk about the sort of things they don't like about one another, and to gossip and to spend time just gossiping and, do, and talking about all kinds of things. And he said, God had called me to just be a servant, to serve this company, to give myself, but not to entertain things that are not of God. And he said, what, he, what I did was I just committed myself. I said, I'm never going to gossip and speak ill of anyone. And secondly, most of the people will spend some of their time on Facebook, just checking Facebook instead of working. And he said, I am never going to touch Facebook at work at all. Was it easy? No, it wasn't. But he, this is a man who is longing to see the kingdom of God come into his place. Completely the other way around. And it just so happened that he was tender. He, 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 he went to submit um, his notice for leaving his, his job. So he went to his manager and told him he was leaving. And the manager said, he said, I need to talk to you, Rodney. He said, your job will always be open for when you want him. And he said, why? He said, you are very different from everyone here. And by the way, I, I just love the way you do things. And he said, everyone here gossips, slags people off, they talk about people, they come to me to talk about one another. But, say, but he said, you've never done it. You've never spoken bad of anyone in this, in this place. Secondly, he says, I know everyone is on Facebook and they're doing stuff, but you're never on Facebook. What is different about you? And then he said, Jesus. Because the way up is down. It's the opposite of the world. The kingdom that we live in is a very different kingdom to the kingdom of this world. It's an upside down kingdom. When the world jostles, we serve. When the world tries to promote itself, we come and become a servant. Jesus Christ did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. Instead of lifting himself, he became a servant. And God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Jesus' mission was to go to the grave. And God's mission was to lift Jesus to the highest place. The way up is not up. The way up is down. The way to glory is becoming a servant. Let's give ourselves to that. Let's understand the concept and the principles of this kingdom. It's a very, very different kingdom. Very briefly, and lastly, maturing in this kingdom. 
Paul, is, it sounds like he's really going for them, the Corinthians, because he says to them, he says, this is not to shame you, but to admonish you. I'm sending Timothy to you. He's, he's going to show you my way in Christ. He's going to teach you because you've lost the plot and you are living a different life. Basically what he's saying is, he says, your faith needs to be stirred. You need a change of direction. You need a change of thinking. You need to be galvanized a bit more. And I'm sending Timothy to come and galvanize you. I'm sending Timothy to come and speak into your life so that you might, your faith might be stirred. Let me just note something here. Often we say, when we talk about faith and maturity, we often say, try not to think. Don't think. Just believe. But Paul never says that. He says, the more you think, the more faith is stirred, the more you think things through. Jesus says the same thing. The more faith is stirred. Faith is not just blind entering into a realm, just blind hoping that something will pop up that will be a blessing to you. Faith is observing the evidence and saying, based on this, I know he's true and he's God and he saves that's why Jesus, Paul talks about Jesus in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, I saw him. He says, 500 people here saw Jesus Christ raised from the dead into a new life. That's why I'm convincing you today to believe. And he says, it's because I saw him. And then he says, had Christ not been raised from the dead, my faith would have been futile. What's he saying? He's, he's saying, I'm not entering it blindly. I'm entering it based on the evidence that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And that's how we become mature in Christ, is we search for truth. We go in, we look for truth. Because Paul is saying, you've, you've had many guardians, you have many people. You had podcasts, you have conferences, you have all kinds of input of people coming in. But let me tell you this, I need to bring you truth that is going to set you free, that is going to set you on a path where, of maturity. In Matthew 6, Jesus speaks and he encourages people. And this is what he says to the people. Because he says, oh, you of, of little faith. But he says, he doesn't say, you are struggling, you don't have food, you don't have clothes, you don't know where to sleep. Just believe, close your eyes, do not think. He says, think about this. Look at the sparrows of the air, the birds of the air. They do not labor. They do not store in barns, but yet they are provided. Have you ever thought about that? And then secondly, he says, look at the grass of the field. Is, look, at the, the, look at the flowers. The grass is burned today, but tomorrow it grows again. Have you ever thought about that? And then he says, look at all that's happening around the world where people trust and believe and seek first the kingdom. Everything just gets given to them. What he's saying there, he says, think about this. If you feel that God will never provide for you, I want you to, it's not, be, it's not because you chose to think, but it's because you're not thinking. Because think, if God was able to provide for the birds that do not have to labor, do not have to work hard, how much more is he going to provide for you? Look at this, think about this. If God was able to provide for the grass of the field, today is gone, tomorrow is gone, today is here. But tomorrow again is going to be burned, and the following uh, season is going to be there again. How will he not provide for you? And the grass does not have to look for food, 
does not have to look for water, but the Father provides for them. So, oh, you of little faith, believe God. How do we believe? We observe the evidence that God is who he says he is, and we believe. That's how we mature. If you read Isaiah 44, Isaiah says, he says, I want you to know, Israel, that you are abandoning the Lord and worshiping idols. And the way I'm going to appeal to you, I'm not just going to say, close your eyes and believe God exists. He says, I'm going to call you all away from idols. And this is how I'm going I'm to appeal to you. And this is what he says. He says, think about this. A man goes out. He chops a tree down. He takes, he brings this tree, and he brings it into his home. And after he brought the tree into his home, he, he cuts the tree. Some of it, he uses it for fire. He makes food. He, you know, he has incredible, this beautiful fire, and he is warm. And then some of it, he carves it very nicely. He puts it somewhere as a shrine, and he worships it. And he said, do you worship something that you yourself have created with your own hands? Think about it. Idols are useless. The one who you can never create, you can never have to, you don't have to make. He made you. He's the one worth worshiping. Because think about your idols. You can create it, cover it nicely, and make it and put it over there. The reality is you can chop it and burn it, and it's useless. Idols are useless. Don't worship idols. Worship the Lord. What does that do? It shows you that idols are of no use, but God is the uncreated one who deserves all the worship, all the honor, all the glory, and everything. And let me say this. How is your faith being stirred? Do you observe the evidence? Do you go back to Scripture again and again? Do you mess yourself in the writings of Scripture? To stir faith in us, to bring us to maturity, is not doing less of that. It's to do more of that. It's to soak ourselves. Yesterday, last night, uh, I saw on Facebook about the song that we, 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 these guys played this morning, and um, it was put there, and I thought, I'm going to change the way I soak myself in, in God. I'm just going to listen to this song and just, just really enrich myself with these words and begin to ask myself what these words really mean. And by the way, as I was doing that, God was really with me. I was really engaging with God. It's not doing less of that. It's not bloating your mind and saying, I'm not going to think. It's beginning to investigate more about God. That's how faith grows. That's how we mature in God, by looking to God more through the writings of Scripture and say, God, speak to us. And believe me, God will speak to you. Let's be a people who are mature in the Word. Let's be people who investigate the Word. When was the last time you felt, wow, this has really spoken to me? It's really enlightened me. And you stood there and you lifted your hands and you said, God, you are amazing. Let's do that through the scriptures. Let's engage in the kingdom of God. Not less, but more. And as we do that, we will mature in God. And the questions we ask will be kingdom questions. The way we live is just kingdom thing. Not because if we don't do it, God will love us less. No, 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 no. But because as we do it, we know God more. The revelation of God is just revealed among us. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening. Visit www.cityhillglobal.com to find out more about City Hill Church. Thank you.